coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and joining me today for a special holiday mailbag edition of the podcast is my co-host, Curtis. And look, guys, I I know we don't have a specific game to recap or anything like that, but there's still plenty going on in the world of Georgia sports, and the questions have still been pouring in, so we figured, why not? Why not carve out some time for a holiday week mailbag episode? We weren't necessarily planning on doing this episode, because to be honest with you guys, holiday week episodes usually don't get near as many listens and impressions, because... I mean, people are out doing what people do on holidays, eating, drinking, enjoying general merriment. But if you're like me, who, like anyone else, like I I love the holidays, I love the downtime, don't get me wrong, I definitely do, I like sleeping in a little bit, and like when you're old like me nowadays, sleeping in is like 8 o'clock, but I enjoy that. But I also get annoyed because all the podcast or radio shows that I listen to basically go dark during the holidays. And so I'm in this period where I have all this free time where I can enjoy these things, but there's no content to listen to and enjoy. So even though this episode might get lost in the holiday shuffle and might not get as many impressions as a a typical episode would get, I also know that there are those of you out there like me who just want some Georgia sports content to consume while everything else goes dark over these next couple of days. So here we are. Uh, Again, you guys send in the questions, and we love you guys. We always want to make sure that we're doing doing whatever we can to take care of you. You guys take care of us supporting the show, and we try to take care of you guys as well. So it's our small little way to thank you for supporting our podcast. But we are on a little bit of a time crunch today because I've got my first Christmas celebration to get to here in about an hour or so, first of a couple So let's go ahead and jump right in and get to as many of these questions as we possibly can. I don't know if we get to all of them, but we'll try to get to as many as we can. And what we don't get to, we will cover on our next mailbag episode. I promise you that. But anyway, our first question, and this is a good question to start off with, Curtis, because I think a lot of Georgia fans' minds have been here for uh, a month or so now, really, after the Florida game, the loss in Jacksonville. I think a lot of fans realized that our 2020 season, at least in terms of like championship aspirations, it was pretty much done with, right? So what did all of us start to do, or a lot of us start to do? We turned our attention to next year, 2021. That's what Koshwal fans do, right? Hope springs eternal. So Austin is going to go there with his first question, and uh, we appreciate Austin. And what he asks is, what needs to happen for Georgia to be in the college football playoff next year? So Kurt, what's going to happen, man? Well, more than anything, I think our offense really needs to show up. As we're seeing college football, especially, is going more towards an offense of game. And I, so I think that realistically we're going to have to win with offense. So I think our offense is going to ha- – we're going to have to have some guys come back like JT Daniels and the receivers and things like that to really take the next step forward offensively. And then when you're looking at the schedule, you're going to have to win the big games. Um, yes. Realistically, I think come this time next year, you're not going to see Oklahoma be left out. So there's not going to be two teams, in my opinion, going forward from the same conference that are going to make it. Uh, so with that being said, I think one of the big things is you're going to have to win your conference championship. Uh, I mean, we could win or lose to Clemson. That's not going to make or break the year. It'll help you. But even then, if you don't win the conference, especially going into next year, I doubt that you will get into the postseason unless you've won that won your conference. So I think next year the biggest thing is we're going to have to win the SEC outright in the, uh, the conference championship. 
to get us into the playoffs. You don't think if we were undefeated in the regular season and lost in the conference title game that we you think we'd be left out in that scenario? Um, it depends because I think that right now, especially like Clemson, uh, Oklahoma, you know, I doubt Ohio State's really going to take a step back. So I maybe I'm wrong, but this year's different because the Big 12, ha- they didn't have a t- uh, team that had one loss that won the championship. Any team that, uh, that was going to win the conference championship was going to be a two-loss team. So that kind of eliminated them overall from getting into the playoffs, but I don't know if that's going to be the case going forward if we're going to have multiple teams or multiple conferences in general that have two losses. Yeah, and I know the Pac-12 has been out of the playoffs for years now, but USC, Oregon should both be really good again next year. A lot of guys coming back for both those teams. Yeah, that's interesting. I I think it it always depends on a year-to-year basis, like what happens around you. Like like your season doesn't happen in a vacuum. So you could say, well, Notre Dame got it in this year. They lost the conference title game. They went undefeated in the regular season. So if Georgia's undefeated next year and loses the conference title game, then they'll still get in too. But like nothing happens in a vacuum. You have to just see, see what happens around the country. You're exactly right about that. Now, for me, like you're right, I think we have to win the big games. I mean, to me, the, the two biggest games on the schedule next year, clearly four. we got to win that game more than likely to get into the SEC championship game. And then also the game against Clemson and Charlotte. But if we win those two games and don't stub our toe against the likes of a South Carolina like we did in 2019, then we're probably going to be in the SEC title game. And uh, if we win that game, obviously we're in. If we lose, I think we still give our chance, ourselves a really good chance. If you have a, a win over Clemson and a win over Florida on your resume, I think that looks really good. But I, in terms of like, what do we need to get back in the college football playoff next year? I'm going to go like, – obviously we need to win the SEC championship, that, that game. Greg, I agree with you there. But I'm going to go with some things that would help us get to that point, to actually win that game next year. And I think number one, I think clearly it's JT Daniels absolutely has to return. And Curtis, you and I both have said that we – think he will I don't think it'd be wise of him to to leave after this year even if he ends the season on a great note in the Peach Bowl I think coming back next year he can set himself up for uh, for being a high draft pick in the first round next year and not only have him return but also get him back to 100% and stay there stay healthy so I say that is that's a huge part but it's not just that I would also throw in Todd Munkin I, I haven't heard anything about Todd Munkin looking elsewhere and, and possibly being a candidate anywhere else I haven't heard anything like that so it's I don't think this is going to happen, but hey, it's college football. Crazy things happen. So I would just say keep Todd Munkin in Athens for next year. Because if you have that, if you have the offensive coordinator and you have the the uh, the quarterback, the signal caller, plus you've got George Pickens, plus you've got Jermaine Burton, Kiaris Jackson, hopefully coming back next year. Uh, Darnell Washington, you're older. Who knows who will have the transfer portal. There's obviously some big name guys out there that we've talked about on this show. I don't want to jinx myself here, so I'm not going to say his name out loud. But, like, we would have everything in place with the quarterback and the offensive corner. So, both those guys come back. I think we're in really good shape. I think everything else is complimentary. I, I know that we're going to lose some guys at cornerback in the second year. I know we're going to lose some guys in the offensive line. And those things are important. You've got to have players there. But as we've been saying all year long, and Kurt, you mentioned it, it's about offensive firepower. You've got to be good on the good, you have to be a dominant offensive team. And then you have to have a good enough defense. You have to have, like among all the dominant powerhouses offensively, you have to have the best defense among those groups. And if we can just have our defense at that level, which I think by the end of the year, we can get to that level. Obviously, week one against Clemson will be a tough matchup. But uh, I think everything else is still complimentary to having the quarterback, the offensive coordinator, the skill talent. I think we're going to have all of that if Daniels comes back, if Munkin comes back. And I, I think we have enough depth. We recruit well enough to find some answers, which, of course, we'll cover in great detail throughout the entire offseason. But, yeah, I think Daniel's coming back, keep Todd Munkin, beat Clemson, beat Florida, and I think we're right there uh, on the doorstep of the college playoff next year. 
All right, moving on here. Next question, gonna Curtis. Now, this is more of like a, a college football big picture question. That first question was like big picture Georgia question. This is more big picture, like the entire landscape of college football. And so Connor asked, is the college football playoff bad for college football? With the same old teams in the playoffs again, is it finally time to expand? So, Curtis, this is kind of a two-pronged question there. First off, is the college football playoff bad for college football? And then second off, is it time to expand the college football playoff? Um, no, I'm going to start off with, is it bad for college football? I don't believe it's bad for college football. You're ha- having a lot of these people start with the whole fairness argument. But as we've learned, life isn't fair. If you want to get some of these other teams into it, they're going to have to step up their schedule, like the Cincinnati's, um, the Boise's, BYU, all these people. It's easier said than done because you got you have to have a big boy team agree to play you, and those teams aren't playing those teams. Well, and that's well, and that's the thing. If they're really like you saw Boise for a couple of years, especially under Chris Peterson, they were really going out there trying to find these tougher teams to play, like when they scheduled Georgia and teams like that. And in those years, they slipped up against other opponents in their conference, which cost them. Uh, but I mean, you could expand it to maybe eight games, but I don't think you need or eight teams. But I don't think you need to expand it any further than that. But just realistically, it comes down to yeah, it's consistently you know Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, people like that. But they're the ones if you watch it year in year out, are recruiting at a high level, spending a lot of money, investing in their program. That's what it's going to take to win at a big level. And if you don't have the assets to do it, I'm sorry, but it's just that's how the world is nowadays it's an arms race and right now as we saw with georgia we were always close but we were never going to get over that hump because we were not winning in the arms race and now it's taking us spending money to get there to try to get where we're on the cusp of the doorstep at all times i i totally get what you're saying you're right it is reality it is the way of the world and recruiting investing all that but i think the coshwell playoff it basically has created a system where we have it's like college football and this is even before the college football playoff. I'm not saying this is the college football playoff that's done this. I think, but I think like, college football for a long time has basically been an oligarchy. You have like a few teams nationally who can realistically compete for national titles year in, year out. Sure, there's an outlier here and there where a program has that like one flash in a pan year, but year in, year out, the same team is going the season thinking they have a chance to realistically win a national title. And that's been the way even before the college football playoff. I think it's the nature of college football because college football relies on recruiting because uh, there's no draft where like players have to play for you because you drafted them. But you're right. Cause you talk about recruiting, but here's what I would say about college, the college football playoff recruiting is, is what makes college football unique and recruiting is based on a, a number of factors. Sure. It's, it's your, your coach, how good of a salesman is he geography? Like where's your school located? If you're located in South Dakota, it's probably gonna be tough to get a lot of players there. History, tradition, fan support, resources, investments, things that are – I mean, some of those things you can change, but a lot of those things, geography, history, tradition, fan support, those are things that are, are, are pretty difficult, if not in some cases impossible to change. And if you can change them, it takes time to gradually build up that. Here's what I would say about the cultural playoff. I think it's, I do think it's, it's, I think the answer is yes and no. Is it bad for college football? I think it's been good for college football because I think it's better than the BCS era. I, I think it's a step in the right direction. But what I do think, one reason I might say it's also in some ways kind of not good for college football is because the college football playoff has further entrenched those top teams, that oligarchy that's run college football, it further entrenches those teams in power because what it does is it limits access to the teams that already dominate the cultural landscape. It makes it even more difficult to where like borderlines are impossible for teams outside of that oligarchy to kind of break through. Do you know what I'm saying, Kurt? Like, like I know you're right about like you have to be able to recruit, but 
when it's the same teams year in, year out that get in college football playoff because they have better players, it's kind of the self-perpetuating thing where they're always going to be able to recruit better than every other team because they're the, they're the teams that are always in the college football playoff. And if other teams never get access to it, then how are they ever going to be able to sell to prospects out there who want to get, get in the playoff? How can they ever sell to them, hey, come here, and you have a chance to play for the college football playoff? They're never going to be able to sell that unless they get a chance to get in. Does that make sense? Yeah, I get that argument. But here's the thing, too. You're talking about how some people won't schedule these opponents. Well, here's the thing. Realistically, when you make a schedule, it's four or five years out. There's no given that that team's going to be worth a crap when that time comes. But if you where we sit here and make a schedule against Clemson, Oregon, some of these teams four or five years out, you're pre- I mean, you're not guaranteed that they're going to be at the top of their game, but you can guarantee it's going to be a top build game for us. But when we're facing them, if there's no guarantee that they're still going to be good. And in the end, it could screw over our team because realistically, it would end up being another non. It could potentially be a non-conference game that doesn't matter. So it's hard for us to schedule four or five years out against, say, Cincinnati, who Luke Fickle could be gone, and all of a sudden they're back to reality where they were an average at best team before he got there. That's a great point. And here's one thing: that's, that's a that is a because problem. You you talked about it in general. How a lot of these teams, especially some of these other teams like Cincinnati and Boise, UCF, a lot of them are being you no know, lightning in a pan. But, I mean, UCF has come back down to earth. You know, uh, um, Josh Heichel, yeah. or however you say his name, is down there, and they're not what they were once again. And that's the thing. Like, when we face them, once they go, go down, it does nothing for our rep to play them, but it does something for them to play us when you don't know who how they're going to be. Yeah, I'm not criticizing Power 5 teams for not playing those teams. Like, it doesn't – if you're a Power – if you're Georgia, it doesn't make sense to play Cincinnati in the regular season or UCF. It doesn't make sense to do that. Uh, so I, I, I'm not criticizing them for not doing that. I'm just saying, like, if you're – I get where the the group of five teams are coming from, saying, like, hey, you're criticizing us for our schedule. We're trying to play these big teams and no one plays us. I get where they're coming from. I get where the Power Five programs are coming from. Why would we play them? It's a, no, it's a no-win proposition. Like, us playing the Peach Bowl against Cincinnati, to me, I mean, it's great to see Georgia football play one more time, but it's a no-win proposition for us, and it's the same thing in the regular season. So I get both sides there. Uh, I don't know. I, I just – it's it's a tough scenario because, like, I do think it's – one way that has her college football career is I, I really believe that it has like these teams are always they've been running college football for a long time. I get that, but it's just made it so hard for any team to rise up. I think about like not even group of five teams. Let's say like let's say your average run of the mill power five per. Let's say if you're Iowa State or South Carolina or Arizona State in the Pac-12, maybe what hope do you have of really ever truly contending for a national title if you can't, can't recruit like the big boys? Can you really ever have that hope? Um, no, but I mean, you're going to have to win the conference. I mean, you have South Carolina who hasn't won a conference since they were in what the ACC. Um, yep. so, I'm, but the thing is also these teams aren't spending money on their programs. Um, I know you can say, well, they're not winning, so they don't have the money to spend, but you're going to have to invest to become good. But you can't, but they're playing catch up. Look at Northwestern. I mean, they went to the big 10 championship and this is not long after them building a new huge weight room that opens up onto the river. It looks good out there. And you're talking about some of these, even, I mean, going back to the power five conferences. I mean, can you really sit here and say you're one of the best four teams in the country when you have to kick a field goal as time expires to beat Tulane, who's barely in the top 25? Yeah, no, I agree. I, I'm not saying they're one of the four best teams. Like, if you're having a 14 playoff, that's why I would I would argue you need to expand it right now, uh, because I think you 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 determine it on the field. Like, you're right, or you could absolutely say that. I mean, but A and M, I know they're number five. They didn't get in, but like they also beat Vanderbilt 17-12 in week one. Like, is that like that? I mean, is is that that all that much different than kicking a field goal to beat Tulane? Like, I don't know. Like, I think there's you, you can poke holes any way you want. I think, and you're right. Everything you're saying is right. And look, like I just go back to like. 
again, what's, I'm, a, I'm a Georgia guy, obviously, but I also love college football. It's very important to me. I want college football to be as healthy as it possibly can. I think it's healthier now with the college football playoff than it was with the BCS. So I, in that way, I think the, the college football playoff was a step in the right direction, has been good for college football. But I don't think it's where we need to stop. I don't think it's the long-term answer um, because, I mean, like, again, I go back like, okay, so if you're Iowa State or whoever I mentioned, who did I say, South Carolina, Arizona State, like maybe those teams won't ever be able to like recruit on the level of Georgia and Alabama. Like probably not because of inherent disadvantages. But I do think if you expand the college football playoff, and, and, and they happen to sneak in the college football playoff, like one of those last couple of spots, a, a playoff berth or two could start to change that a little bit more. And so I think more teams have access to the college football playoff. I think the more the recruiting wealth can be spread around. And I think that's good for the long-term health of college football. Now, if you're one of the recruiting superpowers like Georgia or Alabama, like you don't want that to happen. Like why would you want to share things, share all that when things are working so great for you? Like why give your potential competitors a leg to stand on? I get that. I mean, I'm a Georgia guy. I, I Trust me, I get that. But for me, again, you also have to worry about like, What's good for the long-term long-term health of the sport is also good for Georgia. And so, like, I have to – I just ask myself, is it like, – currently, really, is it really good for college football that Alabama, Clemson, Oregon, Oklahoma have combined for 20 of the 28 spots in the college football playoff? That's 71% of the college football playoff burst dominated by four programs, Kurt. Is that really good for college football? I mean, you could try to make the argument it's not, but I'm just going to sit and rest on the fact that the best teams have to make it year in, year out. They have shown that they're the best teams. And the fact of the matter is, if you want to knock off the top dogs, you have to do what it takes to knock them off. Yeah, I, I, that's you're you're totally right in saying that. I just think that the, a fourteen college playoff allows those top. I, mean, dogs I could go to. I, could, I can live with an eighteen where you get rid of the cap or the New Year Six Bowls because they've become irrelevant if you don't make yeah. the championship. So I could see making them qualifiers, but I don't see it need to go to a sixteen or thirty-two. I think that's too much to add on to already playing a twelve-game schedule and the way the schedule sets up, but. Yeah. I mean, outside of it, you also have to pick your timing. You're talking about South Carolina, some of these other teams. All right, maybe you build a senior-laden team that can compete with some of these younger guys like you'll see in college basketball where some of these teams where they have guys come back and they have upperclassmen who compete with the one and dunce. Maybe that's what you have to do is build a senior-laden team, and you have to – I mean, you have to compete at that time, and you're not going to compete year in, year out, but you do still have to take advantage of when you are. Yeah, absolutely. I would say with college basketball, you're right. When college basketball – they don't have a four-team playoff. So those teams, get in, they get into their version of the playoff and they have a chance to actually play those teams and beat them sometimes in their version of a playoff. Look, I, I, I'm with you. I don't think 32, like 32 teams, no. I'm not down with that. Um, but uh, let me throw one more thing at you too, real quick while we're talking about this. Girl. So like another reason I would want to expand the college football playoff is like, the, and you just mentioned it, because I bring this up because you just mentioned it there. Like this, this bowl opt-out epidemic that we've seen over the past however many years now, uh, it's been going on for a while. Uh, and I think, it, honestly, I think it will continue to be the trend of like also players opting out before the season is over when, when their team is out of contingent. Like we, saw, we saw that start this year with COVID. But Curtis, do you really think that this is a one-year thing because of COVID, or is it something that we're going to see moving forward in college football? I think you may see it moving forward in college football for guys that are going to go pro. But you saw a lot of guys opt out at the same time that weren't going to go pro that are maybe trying to transfer, things like that. And mm-hmm. they are going to have to address it like, all right, you opt out, you're off of your scholarship, and I don't know what you're going to do for the next month until you find another school to go to and you can enroll in there once they have a scholarship open. You are going to have to find a way to punish these kids and not leave the avenues open. But I also, yeah. think, that the, but I also think that it's going to punish kids in the long run themselves because what you're going to see is all these kids enter the transfer portal thinking, all right, I'm going to go to a better option. And then they're going to find out, wow, the market's not really there for me. Maybe I'm not as good as I thought. 
and there's not a D1 offer or things like that for me. Oh, wow, the school just replaced me because they think I'm gone. Now I have nowhere to go, and I'm not going to feel sorry for those kids. Yeah, there's a lot of issues with it, with the transfer portal. Yeah, you, you just laid out a really big problem in the transfer portal. But, like, with this opt-out deal, especially with the postseason, because like, here's the thing. People have always said, like, well, college football has the, the greatest regular season in all of sports, so we, we don't want to water that down. And I get that. But, like, when you have this greatest regular season in college sports and then you have what I think is the by far the worst postseason in sports, like – can we not try to, to have the best of both worlds in some ways? And like this, this opt-out thing in the bowls and, and now late in the season, like it's a tough issue. But how do you solve that? I think one way you might be able to solve it to some small degree is, again, put more teams in the college playoff. Because what that does, it gives more teams a shot late in the season to actually win. They're playing meaningful games. So those kids are not going to opt out. And so, again, I get the argument against that, like, yeah, the regular season doesn't mean as much if you let more teams in. I understand that. But, again, are we really satisfied – with having the best regular season in sports, but by far the worst postseason. It's so anticlimactic. It's not even funny. Like I used to get so excited about bowl season. Now it's like, oh, okay, cool. But here's here, – now look, this is just my idea. I'm just thinking on the top of my head. I've been thinking about this for a couple of weeks now. So I'm with you. I don't think 32 teams is the way to go, but I think there's a way to preserve the regular season and have a better postseason. So hear me out here, and then I want to get your take on, on this idea. I would be in favor – for a long time I've been in favor of an 18 playoff. And I didn't want to go further than that because I didn't want to water down the regular season. But the more I think about it, I think a 12-team college playoff would be a great avenue to pursue. And hear me out on this. So 12 teams. The top four teams get a bye, okay? That makes that keeps the regular season still really important because everybody's trying to get in the top four so they can get that bye. No, it's maybe not as – the stakes maybe aren't as high. As like if you're not in the top four, you're not in the playoffs at all. But still, top four – you get a first round buy. Okay. I think it makes the regular season still very important. And then teams five through 12 play quarterfinals games in four of the six New Year's Six Bowl games on a rotational basis. And the winners of, of those quarterfinal games will play the top four teams in the semifinals in the two remaining New Year's Six Bowls, again, on a rotational basis. And then the winners of those games, you have a national title game. Now, in this scenario, you would have to get rid of the conference title games. And that that's probably not going to happen because the conference title games mean so much money to the individual conferences. Basically for this to happen, you would have to convince the individual conferences that the financial windfall from a, an expanded playoff would be more than what they get from the conference title games. I get that. And I, I like this scenario because it gives more teams access. It breaks up the power of the oligarchy in college football to some degree. And I think to me, more meaningful football is always better than less football. In my opinion, that's just me. So like, what about a 12 team playoff? Is that like, is that just not, something you'd ever consider? You could think it's a great idea on paper, but I don't think you're going to get teams to miss out on the money. Where Because they're going to keep, like, especially look at the SEC championship. Year in, year out, that's probably one of the most watched college football games of the year outside of the conference uh, of the college football playoffs. And they get to keep 100% of that profit. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So, and I don't know what the numbers would be, like how much they would get from an expanded college football playoff and the, and the TV revenue there that you would get. I, I don't know what the numbers would be. Like for that to ever happen, I'm not saying this is going to happen. I'm just saying this is what I would like. I, I get money drives a thing. I mean, it's a, fairness, it's a fairness argument. I get the whole fairness argument trying to keep it competitive. But at the same time, I just don't think that you'll ever get them to say to go against it because yeah, they have they, no, they, the oligarchs or however you want to call them are you know they're winning right now with what's work because everything's working for them yeah of course and it's it's, it's i mean really really I, mean, I hate to say it but what you're gonna have to have is a power five championship for their own like you have with d2 college football then you have even more money 
Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm not even like to me. I, I'm not trying to. I'm really not trying to argue the fairness thing. I'm really not. I'm I'm looking at this more. Well, but say, I'm of, saying like you're seeing a lot of the people just think it's bad for college football because it's not fair. But the whole yeah. fairness argument is it's just it's an argument that yeah, it's on paper you want everything to be fair, but it's just it's not how life works, and it's not going to be realistic in the long run. True, and, and, and yeah, I, I I don't disagree. With that. I mean, like we we're talking about it. Like people want Cincinnati in there. You know, they're undefeated. They won their conference championship. But can you really sit here and tell me that they're better than even the top six teams or so and deserve to be in there over them because they're undefeated and won their conference championship? No, not 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 at all. I don't think they should. Like I don't think they're one of the four best teams in the country. I wouldn't put them in if there's a fourteen playoff. I don't think they deserve to be in. But again, my thing is not so much about the fairness of these group. I don't even really care about, about the group of five teams. I'm talking about like again for me. I look at it from a standpoint of what is good for college football, what is good for fans. And these bowl games, these New Year's Six bowl games, nobody cares. These guys are opting out. This is the biggest game in North Carolina. It's probably like maybe the biggest game in North Carolina football history. And two of the best players have already opted out. I'm like, okay, well, that like that actually three of their best players already opted out. Running back, receiver, linebacker already opted out. I'm like, these games are still – like, why are we even bothering to watch? I guess it's football, so we'll watch it. But wouldn't it be so much more fun, Curtis, if North Carolina versus A&M was a playoff game? Like, wouldn't that be so much more fun for fans and everyone involved? Wouldn't it be better for college football? That probably would. And here's the one thing that you're talking about, you know, especially like some of these teams that stay in the top. Even if you expand to 8 or 12 teams, it's still going to be, for the most part, the same 8 or 12 teams year in, year out because you still have Georgia – um, some of these, uh, I mean, not LSU this year, but Georgia, Alabama, people like that are still the teams that are barely, if they are getting left out, are the ones that are on the cusp of being there. So realistically, mm-hmm. for the most part, you'll still have the same teams in there year in, year out, maybe a couple here or there that are different. Yeah, that's the nature of college football. That's why I go back to with recruiting. It's the nature of college football. Like, in- inequity has been in the DNA of college football from the very beginning. And that's probably never going to change. I just think by expanding the playoffs, you might allow some of those fringe teams to get in at the end, like number 10, 11, and 12, and maybe start to raise the level and profile of their program a little bit and make it a little bit more competitive. And again, not for fairness sakes, but for me, for the health of college football, for the interest of the fans, uh, I, I, I think that is something that I, I would be in favor of. Uh, four teams is not, I, I'm done with it. I don't, I'm done with four teams. Eight teams is better than four teams. I just think 12 would be a, a cool way to, to, to go with it as well. Cause then you get all the, you get all those New York six bowl games involved. You get three rounds of playoffs. I, I think that'd be awesome to see. Cause again, I go back like A&M versus, uh, North Carolina. That'd be awesome as a playoff game. Florida versus Oklahoma. Awesome as a playoff game. Hey, even Georgia versus Cincinnati was a playoff game. Like, yeah, that's awesome. But we don't have that. We, all the other games now are just, again, they're meaningless. And I guess they're not meaningless necessarily because you get it helps to win these games. I get it, but they don't like no one really cares. And they, the players are opt, the best players don't play in these games. Just go ahead and make them playoff games. It handles the opt out issue. It helps some of those fringe programs. It makes college football more interesting. I still think you can preserve the regular season. I don't know. I'm just I'm tired of the 14 playoff. It just it frustrates me. But all right. Anyway, we spent way too much time on that one. So let's go ahead and move on here to the next question. Uh, this is from Evan. Now I'll get back to some more Georgia specific stuff here. He asks, how much will the opt out so far? Speaking of opt outs, how how will those opt outs hurt our chances against Cincinnati in the Peach Bowl? Kurt, how important are some of those losses? Um, they're important, but you've you've seen it going forward. And to me, I'm actually using this. I like. The opt-outs suck, but the one thing I'm really excited about is it gives us a chance to give some of these young guys some important reps because those reps end up being super important. As you saw, think about it two years ago, Aziz Jalari misses almost a whole year, comes in, takes some important stats, and that really catapulted him going forward. 
And I think that's going to be the same way for a lot of these young guys. You saw it with Jamari Sawyer last year. This is a chance for them to, I mean, yeah, it'd probably help us win better. Some of those guys are playing, but I kind of like seeing these young guys get a chance to start to catapult their career and going forward and build on it going into, especially when we have such a big game like Clemson number as your first game next year, you have to have some of these young guys ready to go. And this is the only way to truly get them ready to go. Yeah, no doubt. And like, yeah, I know we have some opt-outs, but most of them on the defensive side of the ball, like offensively, other than Trey McKitty, like we'll be pretty much at full strength. And, and McKitty, like, yeah, he's he's a vet, but I'm excited to see more, like you said, Kurt, more of Darnell Washington, see what he can do. We've started to see him kind of come on late in the season. And, and yeah, we have a lot of key players on defense that are opting out, but fortunately, we have a ton of depth on defense. We've been without Richard LeCount for a while now since Kentucky game, since basically midseason. So like we've already worked that out to a degree. It's not the same as having Richie in there, but like we we've we're okay there. Monty Rice, like that hurts him opting out. He's a, I mean, he's a leader. But again, we have guys that can play that position, whether it's Quay Walker, whether it's Shane Tindall coming on. Like we have guys that can play that position without too much of a drop off. I do think Aziz and, and Johnson hurt because those are our top two outside linebackers. But again, we have more quality depth there at that position than maybe anywhere else in the team. Now, Aziz, that loss hurts. He's the best pass rusher in the league. And I'll give you some statistics to back that up, guys. I'm not saying that just because I'm a Georgia guy. He's got a 20.5% pressure rate. Uh, which on the season, which is two a little bit more than two percentage points higher than anyone else in the SEC and third in the nation, according to Pro Football Focus, the best pass rusher in this league. Um, I, I don't want to say no doubt about it, but like statistically, and you watch him play, I, I think you make that argument. And being Cleveland, I do think offensively, I guess he's a guy offensively we're not going to have in this game. Like he's been a beast for us at right guard. He's got a highest pass blocking grade in the SEC, according to Pro Football Focus. They gave up three pressures in game one, but only three combined after that. And against an undersized Cincy front, which I thought we would have an advantage of running the football, which I still think we will uh, be able to get some movement. But like losing a guy like Ben, we, we know what he can do in the run game, getting moving up front. That certainly doesn't help. But overall, like we, even if we're losing those guys, they don't have anybody acting out. We just still have a more talented roster. It'd be great to have those guys. But I think we'll be okay with our depth and, and overall just uh, talent advantage against Cincinnati. All right, next one here. Uh, Benjamin has asked, of all the draft-eligible players considering a jump to the NFL – which one do we most need to return next year? Kurt, who do we really need to come back? Um, no question is Jordan Davis, in my opinion, because you saw the defense wasn't the same once he went out, uh, just the way he plugs up the middle. I think uh, people like Campbell and stuff would be nice to have back, but I think Davis is definitely the most important piece that we would need, to, to especially with, well, as we bring in some other young guys next year. And we don't have anyone like him, right? And that's the thing. Like He's, he's harder to replace than everyone else, isn't he? Yeah, exactly, and I think that's why I think he'd be the most important piece to come back. All right, you stole Jordan Davis from me. That's where I was going to go. Um, what if I threw out – I mean, is this obvious? What if I threw out JT Daniels? Because technically he's draft eligible. Yeah, I mean, then – yeah, I agree. That that was definitely one that you'd want to like, I didn't think JT because I don't, I don't consider JT – like, do you really think he's considering going to the NFL? Maybe I'm completely off base here. Do you really think he's considering making that jump? Honestly, no, because you haven't heard much out of his camp at all about it. I just I don't see it. That's why like I didn't even really think about him at first. I went with Jordan Especially Davis. the way some of these other quarterbacks have had the way Trask and them have finished the season. They they're so hot right now that it'd be hard to where if he comes back and has a full season, he could be them jumping up the draft boards. I totally. I mean, it just makes all the sense in the world for him to come back. But you know, sometimes these decisions don't really make all that much sense that some guys make. Um, all right, moving on here. Next question is from Caleb. Thanks for the question, Caleb. So, Kurt, Jermaine Johnson kind of went back and forth. Is he going to transfer? Is he not going to transfer? But now Jermaine Johnson's in the transfer portal. So, Caleb asked, with Jermaine Johnson in the transfer portal, how big of a loss is that for the 2021 team? 
I don't think it's a big loss for the 20, 2021 team because honestly, his, his transfer actually caught me by surprise because I just figured he'd go pro. So it's not like right. I, didn't, I didn't even expect right. to have yeah. that. So it, it, to me, it's not a loss for that team because I wasn't expecting him to even be around. He wasn't even in my on my radar for being around next year. Like I like when he said he was, I was more surprised by him saying like, I'm going to transfer. I was more surprised by the fact like you're considering coming back. I was like, oh, you're going to play again next year. I didn't know that. Okay, thought you were gone. But uh, usually the JUCO guys are kind of like that. They want to come and go and make their name and, and go elsewhere. Um, like, but wouldn't it kind of help? Like, if he is going to come back, wouldn't it help next year's team if he did come back and stay in Athens? Um, maybe, but honestly. I just think that realistically, you got to look at what we have, and I think that it'd be hard to keep some of these young guys off the field consistently. The snaps he would take away. I think, like, I think we would be a better team with him. But you're yeah, right. I'm not he, saying, he, yeah, I think he would help the team, but I don't think it make he's a difference maker. Yeah, I, yeah, he hasn't been as big of a difference maker as I thought. He's been really good, but he hasn't been that dominant difference maker I was hoping that he could be. But you're right, Carly. Even even with him gone. He's a good player. I'm not trying to say he's not. He's a good player. But I still think we have a lot of really quality depth. It might actually help keep Adam Anderson in the fold. Like, Kurt, like I've been concerned all year that Adam Anderson was going to go into the transfer portal. Weren't you? Uh, yeah, um, but the unfortunate death of his father and then now with Jermaine Johnson and more than likely Ojolari all going, I think it helps. Yeah, and maybe him. Anderson would have stayed if Jermaine didn't decide to transfer out anyway. Like Maybe he would have. I don't know. But like if, if, if one of those two guys has hit the portal, would you rather be Jermaine Johnson or Adam Anderson? Jermaine Johnson. Yeah, and I, like, I know Anderson is not a complete player right now, guys. He still has to add weight. But like the potential, oh, my God. Like I, I, He is the, the best pure pass rusher on the team. I, I mean, I know I said Aziz, but Aziz had more opportunities. And Aziz is more of a, of a every-down type player. Adam Anderson hasn't gotten there yet because he hasn't put enough weight. But, man, like Adam Anderson, that guy is a, a disruptor extraordinaire. So hopefully going to keep him. You get Nolan Smith back. Who, by the way, guys, let's not forget, Nolan Smith, former number one overall recruit in the country. I know that doesn't necessarily mean anything, but the guy is uber talented. He works hard. I think next year might be the year of Nolan Smith. Let's just keep that in the back of your pocket, guys. And then don't sleep on MJ Sherman. MJ Sherman's a guy that was really high up coming out of high school. Didn't really play much this year because he had so many guys in front of him. But, yeah, again, Jermaine, we'd be, we would be a better team with Jermaine. Uh, be, like I'm not gonna say we're better without him, but we have a lot of really good players there at that position. You might get more opportunities, and who knows? We'll see that maybe they jump up and become better than Jermaine was for us this year. So I, I would love to have him, but I'm not freaking out that he transfers. I, I, I wish him the absolute best unless he ends up transferring to Florida, which is something I've actually heard, which would drive me insane. Like I don't mind the guys having one year penalty free transfer. I get a one time penalty free transfer. I get all that, but like transferring to your in division rival, like I. I think there needs to be something that doesn't allow that to happen, but whatever. Uh, all right, moving on here, Kurt. Sticking with Jermaine Johnson. This question is from Don. I like this question, Don. I really appreciate it, man. Don's going to take it a step further. He says, I'm not sure if you saw the comments from Jermaine Johnson's dad about Kirby Smart being a career killer and substituting for no reason. I've been wondering about this for a while. I understand trying to keep players fresh, but do you think we substitute on defense too much? Curtis, is Don on to something? First off, I'm going to start off with saying Jermaine Johnson's father is a real dingleberry. Um, I think a dingleberry? That, <laughs> yep. Okay. He, he's Let's like go. a scoring lover. He's like a scoring lover out there. I'm trying to keep keep it as PG as I can without just yeah. saying what I really think about him. I appreciate him. that. But appreciate second, that. Off, do, second off, do we tra- uh, substitute too much? No. Um, it's not about keeping guys fresh. Yeah, it's nice that we can keep guys fresh when we uh, substitute, but we don't substitute primarily for that reason. We substitute for matchups. That's what Kirby Smart and Dan Lanning mm-hmm. substitute. That's mm-hmm. what their substitutes are all built around. Yeah, it's a plus that our guys stay fresh, but that's not why we do it. And you, um, we go back to the Alabama game. 
Alabama killed us because we could not substitute mm-hmm. because they would mm-hmm. go to those two tight end sets mm-hmm. and killed mm-hmm. us with matchups where you had people like Jermaine Johnson and them trying to cover running backs and uh, people in the mm-hmm. slot, and they couldn't do it. That's why we substitute. We take them off the field because of matchups because they can't cover guys or do things specifically that other guys can't. That's why we're substituting. It's not substituting to keep them fresh. It's substituting so we don't get exposed, which some teams mm-hmm. still do. Bingo. You're absolutely right. Hey, Jermaine, if you want to stay on the field more, be able to cover out of the backfield a little bit more, all right? Be able to play in space a little bit better, and you'll, you'll be on the field a little bit longer, all right? That, that's just the reality. And, like, look, like, like, who, like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, okay, you made the decision to come here. Like, you knew the deal when you came here, all right? And now you're mad about it be- because you're not getting enough snaps, and it's because you're right, Kurt. The thing is, like, think about where, where do we rotate on defense, Curtis? What position do we rotate? We, ro- we rotate on the outside linebacker, inside linebacker and defensive line. Like we do not really rotate in the secondary. Like maybe we we might bring in DJ Daniel for a, a drive here or there, but that's not really where we're rotating. We're rotating in the front seven because you're exactly right. Those are the positions where you bring in specialized packages based on down and distance. Okay. That's really what it's more about. Sure. Keeping guys fresh is part of it, but it's also about getting specialized packages on the field. And that's what kind of what, like when offenses have moved to specialized packages like that, defense have responded by doing the same thing. That's a big part of it. But like going back to the original question, I think it's kind of a catch-22 also. Kurt, like, think about this, Curse. Like, if you don't sub enough, then all those four- and five-star studs that you are recruiting, they're going to become disgruntled, and they want to transfer because they're not playing enough. They think they're being disrespected. And then if you rotate guys in too much, as his father is saying, guys don't get as many snaps, where which they think may impact their draft stock, and they look to transfer. So it's kind of one of those catch-22s, isn't it, Curse? Exactly, and, and it's, it's you're damned if you do, damned if you don't in that type of situation. But realistically, I'd rather try to keep more guys happy and go matchup-wise and get the best guys on the field than just sticking with a, a base system that sticks there all the time. Yeah, I, I totally agree. For me, look, I, I understand, John, you're exactly right. There are some drawbacks. Some guys like Jermaine Johnson and his dad are going to get upset about not getting enough playing time. They don't think they can feature him enough to where he gets his NFL draft stock race. I get that. There's a, there are some drawbacks there. But I think the benefits outweigh those drawbacks. I think you keep guys happy and hungry. It breeds healthy competition and practice all offseason long. It keeps guys fresh. It also helps in recruiting because you can say, hey, you might not start right away, but we rotate a lot of guys. You can come in and be an immediate impact type guy for us. Now that depends on the guys. Some of those recruits want to be the dude and be the, the, the guy who plays every single snap. But a lot of these guys, they understand in the NFL, it's a specialized deal too defensively where they bring in different packages and they understand that. And they're okay with that. It also doesn't put as much wear on the tires. So – uh, I think, yeah, there are some drawbacks, but I think the benefits outweigh those drawbacks. Um, all right, a couple more questions here, Kurt. We're running out of time. I'll try to get to a couple more. Uh, next question is from Donovan. Appreciate it, buddy. Uh, Donovan asks, I'm not sure if you can answer this question, but how would you evaluate the job Scott Cochran did as an on-field coach and B, also on the recruiting trail? So, Kurt, how, do you, how would you evaluate Scott Cochran in year one? You can't really tell on the recruiting trail because it's, it's just hard. I mean, we didn't really do a lot of special teams players per se uh kicking or punting overall so it's hard to judge them on that but i thought um, just, they, they all like it's so hard to judge like who's recruiting what because they all get they all have recruiting areas and they get involved with their positions so different coaches recruit different guys it's really tough to under, to know that yeah and then on the field i thought he did a really good job on the field um you know we made some mistakes here there but none of it i ever felt like was a lack of discipline and i think that's the one thing he Dilled in our special teams was a discipline and a high energy, and I mean that, that's who the guy is. And I thought, and I thought you saw that translate to our special teams group as a whole this year. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I think that uh, it was a really good year one for Scott Cocker, especially considering this guy had never been an on-field coach a day in his life. If you look at our numbers from a special team standpoint across the board, we were really good guys. Like We were really good in the SEC. We made improvements in almost, I don't say every single area from last year, but most areas. I mean, we led the SEC in kickoff returns this year. Uh, we averaged 31 yards per kickoff return. Now, maybe we didn't return as many, but we had 31 kickoff for thir- We averaged 31 yards per kickoff return, up from 19 yards per kickoff return last year. We led the SEC opponent kick return up from fifth last year. We gave up 6.3 yards per punt return versus 8.83 last year and 12.8 in 2018. So, a pretty significant improvement in punt returns uh, and opponent punt return yards. Uh, he also, we had an all SEC punter. Now, how much credit does he get for that? I don't know, but Camarda really straightened things out this year, probably more on him and experience. But our special teams as a whole were really good this year, guys. No, we didn't break the big, long return that we wanted to. Uh, we didn't, but we, we, were, we were consistently good returning the football, whether it was kickoff returns or punt returns. We were consistently good in coverage. Didn't have any major, major mistakes there. So I think all in all, it was a really good first year for Scott Cochran uh, as a coach for the special teams. And also, I think recruiting, like, again, we don't exactly know who he's talking to, who he's involved, especially now with COVID and guys, calling guys on the phone. But I can tell you what, Scott Cochran's a good recruiter, guys, and he's – more than pulling his weight. That's one of the reasons Kirby brought him in. And what he does also with the team within the facility, just getting those guys motivated, um, making them hungry, that kind of thing. What he does at practice, I mean, that kind of stuff is invaluable. So I'm really excited to have him on our on our staff. And I think he exceeded my expectations, honestly, from a special teams coach standpoint. All right, uh, let's go to another one here, Kirk. This is a quick one from Chris. Do you think the NCAA will ever let early enrollees be eligible for bowl games? Kirk, you, like with all, with all the opt-outs, do you think ever we'll see these early enrollees? We have, what, like six or seven on campus right now practicing with the team for bowl practice. Do you ever see them being allowed to play in a bowl game? I don't think you will, and I think it's a good idea that they don't because realistically, I'll say the one thing that really strikes me is the potential for injury. A lot of these guys are just getting into the program. I think that you could see some bad things happen if you rush them out there, try to get them on the field just so you can field a team or something like that, that they're just not up to the speed of play. I just think that there's way too many things unknowns that could cause some injuries yeah that's a good point i didn't necessarily look at it from that standpoint i'm looking at it from an opt-out standpoint and i think the i don't think i don't see the opt-out train stopping unless they expand the playoffs pretty dramatically which i don't know of how much confidence i have in that happening so that's that's going to continue to happen so i would i would say i wouldn't close the door on them allowing eventually these early enrollees to play in the bowl games uh i don't know the life i i think it would take a while for that to happen but I'm not going to close the door and say it's impossible because college football is evolving and that could be one of these evolutions. But I'm with you, Kurt. Like that, now that you say that, like it certainly, like, like some of these high school programs, they have their guys ready. Right? IMG is basically a, a football factory, right? But not all these programs have the resources and the facilities to get these guys ready to come in and compete in the SEC like right away, like two weeks after graduating from high school. That, that's that's a really good point there. So I don't know. That's, that's interesting. Um, I would say you're, I'm, I'm probably with you. It's probably not the best idea. But I wouldn't say it would never happen. I'd never say never without college football evolving right now. But uh, all right, guys. Like, oh, I guess we have a couple more questions, but we're going to hold those until next week. We'll get to those with the next mailbag because they're more like big picture type questions and don't necessarily have anything to do with what we're going, what's going on right now. Still important questions. So if we skipped your question, guys, I'm sorry. I just got to run. I got a Christmas celebration to get to. I don't want to get in trouble being late to the family celebration. Um, so we'll, we'll hold those and we'll get those in the next mailbag. I promise you that. But thank you guys for sending all those questions. We always appreciate it. you guys. Never let us down there. We hope you guys all have a very safe and happy holiday season. I know it's not the holiday season we're all hoping for, that we're all accustomed to. I hope you guys make the most of it. Everyone has a great time. Uh, thanks for supporting us throughout this year, guys. You know how much we appreciate that. 
And we'll have you guys covered next week as well as we get ready for the Peach Bowl matchup with Cincinnati. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. Thanks for listening. And as always, go dogs.